Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. So you think your home is futuristic. Wait till you hear our guest's vision for the future home and the future neighborhood on today's Smart Home Show. Stay tuned. Okay, so you have a smart home, but how smart is your neighborhood? And can you really have a smart home if your neighborhood is dumb? These are the questions posed by a guy named James Ehrlich, who I saw speak a couple weeks ago at Google. James runs a company called Region Villages, and he's thinking about the home, not just of like the future today, in, in kind of a futuristic home, like a smart home with smart light bulbs, smart locks, hubs, routines. He's thinking about homes that will be built in the future that can sustain themselves in a world of dwindling resources, how they can rely on their own neighborhood for water, electricity, food. It's a different kind of conversation, but I think it's a good one. I think the smart home industry needs to think beyond just convenience, routines, and how we get towards a home of the future, a sustainable home of the future, a regenerative home of the future. And, and this is like that conversation. So listen to it. Absorb it. James is a super smart guy. I think you'll enjoy it. For those of you that want to see James in person, he will be at the Smart Kitchen Summit this year, October 10th and 11th in Seattle. We're getting excited. We revealed the first list, first round of speakers. Check it out, SmartKitchenSummit.com. We have a special discount code that I'm only going to reveal on the podcast. Use this discount code SPRING, 25% discount for those who listen to the podcast. It expires at the end of May. Again, spring, go to smartkitchensummit.com, 25% off tickets. We hope to see you there. All right, let's talk to James. Well, I'm really happy to have James Ehrlich on the podcast today. How are you doing, James? I'm doing great. Thanks. I was lucky enough to be down at the Google Food Lab a couple weeks ago now, and you actually got up and spoke about your newest company, Regen Villages, which is this really interesting future-forward concept around regenerative homes. One of the things that really intrigued me was you you said this you said it makes no sense to have a smart home in a dumb neighborhood. What did you mean by that? Well, there's a lot of uh of uh, industry at this moment in time that's moving precipitously towards uh, creating hardware and software for what they call intelligent dwellings and uh, and smart cities and things like that and and I'm of course I'm supportive of of all these these efforts I think that's super interesting uh, at the same time um, you know we we have to start thinking differently about neighborhoods and about how we um, grow food how we digest waste how we generate power and also how we store and conserve and use water. So uh, I like to think that that a, a smart house, let's say, where one person is buying all of these gadgets and all of these things, and they're living, uh, they think, a smart way, is um, it, it's not necessarily the right uh, program if the neighborhood itself that they're living in is, uh, is wasteful and is... Uh, not uh, quantified and is not doing the things necessary to to make it, uh, let's say, thriving with abundance. So I also like to say resilience. Resilience. Yeah. What makes a neighborhood really smart, in my mind, would be resiliency. And, you know, 
the, the world I live and breathe in, it's oftentimes focused on smart home. Oftentimes people want to make digital entertainment easier. Um, they may want to incorporate a, you know, a better form of doing home security. You're focused on uh, around this idea of regenerative homes. Talk about this concept of a regenerative home and a regenerative neighborhood. What is that? Well, uh, regenerative, from my perspective, uh, it ought to replace the word sustainable. I only use the word sustainable when, as it pertains to business models and and revenue. Uh, but but regenerative is ought to be the new wave of thinking because regenerative, what it means is that uh, a house is and a neighborhood is generating more power than it needs for those families living in that neighborhood. That's a surplus that can be used for other things like charging electric vehicles or selling back to the grid. So that's an abundant surplus. Uh, neighborhoods that are understanding in their own footprint how to grow high-yield organic food and feed the, that neighborhood. And that is also regenerative because the surplus is abundant, and which means that there's a, a, an asset class. It's on an open market. We can sell that food or barter for other things. Um, the other part that's regenerative is food waste and 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 animal, small animal waste that can be turned into nutritional inputs to feed that garden systems to feed that that small farm that's connected to to those neighborhoods and and that is really the the idea is that the concept is that the output of that is uh, a positive externality that we have nutrient rich topsoil we have um, we have um, sources of nutrition. And so in other words, that there's an abundant surplus that's created makes something regenerative. And, and that's the way we, we view the neighborhoods of the future, really. And, you know, the way we've often talked about it in the past, when we look at the world of clean energy, clean tech, et cetera, there were terms like clean tech, you know, that seemed to morph into sustainability. There truly does seem to be a different meaning around this idea of regenerative. Like you said, it creates sustain, it creates energy inputs it allows it to kind of create abundance that's right and and really what we're looking at is this concept of um a new way forward for how residential real estate is developed around the world because we have these mega cities and then we've got these near suburban areas uh and and a lot of that uh, suburban near suburban and then the peri-urban and the rural are for farming to, to feed populations, but there's sprawl. So in other words, more and more people want to start to leave these cities. They are going to meet up with these wonderful real estate developers who are more than happy to pave over that farmland and, and create car culture and runoff and all these other things, which are, which are, we call negative externalities of, of suburban life. So what we want to do and what we're going to do and are doing are building new kinds of neighborhoods, starting in the Netherlands, our first community this summer, breaking ground, uh, for 300 homes on top of certified organic farmland, where we are proving that we can produce more organic food, clean water, clean energy, and mitigated waste than if we just left that as uh, farmland for organic monoculture or for conservation's sake. And then that really starts to move the needle on zoning and development. I think I recall you talked about how you went to Europe and you, you were really inspired because they were doing things different there. Talk a little bit about the experience, how that changed things for you. Yeah. So so basically what happened was that I um, uh, had spent 
quite a bit of time doing case study research uh, as part of my entrepreneurial lifestyle, uh, doing case study research on organic and biodynamic family farms. And eventually, uh, I had taken a position at Stanford University, and uh, just a couple of years into my, my position there, I started to see the climate data, I started to see things going the wrong way on the planet. Um, and I got involved in volunteering at first uh, with a uh, was a U.S. Department of Energy cohort called the Solar Decathlon, where 20 universities come together every year to compete to who can build the most energy positive home. And I became the organic food coach, if you will, for the Stanford team. Uh, and um, there was a beautiful house that got realized. And this was the beginning of my understanding of the single house idea didn't make much sense uh, if it's surrounded by other homes that aren't uh, thinking the same thing. So I went to Versailles in the summer of 2014, and I was deeply inspired because I saw not a competition, but a, a neighborhood. And that neighborhood made total sense. And it was... Um, 20 beautiful energy positive homes sitting on top of a Schneider electric microgrid where each of the homes were generating power and peer to peer they were sharing the power and the load balancing and then eventually the Schneider microgrid was uh, uploading or selling that power back to the grid at a peak time so i i thought gee if we just marry that uh, fast building, uh, efficient, beautiful model of a neighborhood with high yield organic food production and, and cultivation, which is my background, with uh, water, waste, and, and, um, and energy storage and, and treatment, that we could create essentially self-reliant neighborhoods that could in the future be off-grid that could be self-reliant to the point where, especially if you're looking at rural India, rural Africa, um, and, and ASEAN, where the next two to three billion people in the majority are going to be being born into the, the world the next 30 years, uh, that that's a really exciting opportunity to, to get ahead of the curve, to be able to make places where people can live comfortably, securely, uh, within their own footprint, and it gets again uh, to be an exciting idea for uh, a healthier, happier uh, ten billion people on the planet. This idea of, of fusing in and marrying vertical farming, organic growth of food into the neighborhood at the backyard level, at the neighborhood level. Talk a little bit about getting people to think about creating their own food in their own neighborhood. How how do you think you can encourage that? How does that work? Put it this way: there was a wonderful Rockefeller Foundation report. Uh, in 2013, which showed that up until the year 1950, which was not that long ago, uh, 75% of then 2.5 billion people who lived on planet Earth, so three-quarters of the whole planet's population, lived in self-sustaining small communities. And so they were growing their own food, and they were having uh, biodiversity, and they were trading at the, the market square uh, for who was growing different things and that kind of uh, uh, um, lifestyle. So what we envision and what we're putting together with Regen Villages is 
kind of a modern version of that. So what we do is we have high organic food, which would be a combination of organic, biodynamic, soil-based, permaculture farming, some small animal input, some aquaponics for fish and shrimp and other kinds of things. So nice menu menu mix, if you will. Um, But that we, as a real estate developer, as a management company, we manage all those services. The people who live in the neighborhood pay an association fee, like somebody would if there was a golf course or a tennis court or a pool, right? But instead of those amenities, we make food and water and energy and waste to resource mitigation the amenities. And so people then pay a fee and then they get a basket of delicious organic food delivered to their door every week. Now, for those people who want to volunteer, if they want to be involved and have agency in in being involved in any aspect of the community, we have an app that we're designing right now. We're building using blockchain that will allow the people who live in the community to offset their um, their monthly uh, association fee by doing these kinds of volunteer work. And so it's a really nice idea of an eco-village on people's own terms. And so that's a really, I think, a, a wonderful expression of the, the past moving into the future, if you will. Without going too much in like super granular detail, talk a little bit about what this food generation looks like. You talked a little bit about aquaponics, soil-based farming. Is this Talk a little bit about how this looks like, what it looks like. Well, you know, we like to say when we build a regen village's neighborhood that we more grow it than build it. In other words, we start under the ground with water cisterning, with, with boreholes for heat and temperature differential, and then we, we move up to the surface of the ground and we're doing berms and guilds and, and food forests. So essentially what we're doing is we're, we're creating and planting uh, the future of food generation in a neighborhood. So there's berries and nuts and orchards and all different kinds of things, places for, for small animals to graze. And we can do some, some dairy cultivation. So sheep, goat, um, some cow, but not for, for meat, but just for, for dairy, let's say, um, and then, you know, after all of those kinds of infrastructure are in place and, and seeded, then we, we put the energy positive home typologies into those, those areas. Um, and so the concept is, I like to say, imagine walking from one end of the neighborhood to the other with a plate. Um, <clears throat> by the time you get midway <clears throat> through or to the end, um, you have a meal and and we think that's a really exciting idea for for how neighborhoods can be thriving and have connective tissue which is which is around food and healthy food so we also use um some tech in the in the sense of some vertical farming and aquaponics for those people who aren't familiar with aquaponics it is um uh, large embedded uh, fish tanks which um uh, can have several different species of a fish and shrimp and crawfish and their waste uh, is typically ammonia and that ammonia we take through uh, a system which through biological interaction turns it into plant food and uh, and liquid-based nutrients for the plants and then by the time it feeds all of the plant beds in the vertical farms it trickles back down to the fish tanks uh, not as ammonia enriched water but with nitrite uh, nitrate 
with enriched water, which the, the fish seem to love. And so we purify the water coming from the fish tanks. We feed the plant beds with it, and everybody's happy. And again, it's this circular model yeah. of, of, um, of ecosystems, essentially. We're doing something called biomimicry, which was imitating uh, what Mother Earth has perfected for four and a half billion years. And how long does it take from the time you, just, you find a plot of land to the time someone's living in a home? What is that timeline? Uh, well, this is, a, this is also exciting for us because what we're trying to do is to redefine from um, a governmental perspective how fast can we realize a full neighborhood. So when I was in the solar decathlon in Versailles <clears throat> in France in 2014, I saw 20 homes get built in two weeks. Now, they're flat pack, they were prefab, they were, they were designed and essentially engineered someplace else in the world and then flown there and, and, and put there. So we like to imagine a local production uh, system where we are doing a similar thing. We're prefab walls and, and these kinds of uh, beautiful structures and homes, but they go up really quickly. So the main thing then is why does it take so long to build a neighborhood? Well, when you look at it, you start to deconstruct that it has mostly to do with antiquated bureaucracy. There's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of, of, of issues around development and certain kinds of development. So what we're really trying to do, too, is to, to redefine how local governments and communities and adjacent neighborhoods, regional governments, and even national governments can come together and very quickly – permit these kinds of regenerative uh, neighborhoods. And, and we also use university levers you know, from Stanford, but to also to other universities around the world to create these exclusion zones, if you will, to start with, that we're doing research there and doing um, a certain kind of development. But at the same time, it lets people feel comfortable that what we're doing is, is the right thing. Um, this is critical because there there needs to be about 2 billion new homes that gets built in and realized in the next 30 years. And that's a huge, unbelievable number, if you can imagine. You talked about taking what you're doing and you realized, I think one of the quotes you said was, you need to scale this fast because you don't have time to mess around because the earth uh, has a problem. So how do we, how do we scale this quickly to where, you know, in a, you know, in 15, 20 years, a significant percentage of homes are using this methodology. Uh, let me just, you know, qualify a couple of things. One, you know, we're a Stanford spinoff company sure, um, sure. and, and we are a for-profit company um, that is a real estate developer and in a tech integrated real estate developer. Got it. And so part of what we're doing is initially uh, buying land and, 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 and developing these pro uh, properties and projects building the homes to sell, rent, and then we stay in forever to manage these thriving mechanisms. The other part of it is that as we build these regen villages around the world, the, we use technology to allow these neighborhoods to talk to each other through the cloud and to start to autonomously learn and improve. Um, so we like to imagine that robots, um, instead of some people thinking that robots are first going to take our jobs and then kill us, um, we like to think that maybe we can get ahead of that curve and, and teach these robots and this AI how to 
increase our thriving and allow us to, to live in a better way. So, so we start a very much traditional sort of real estate developer and, and build these neighborhoods. Our plan is quite ambitious. We're going to build 77,000 homes in the next eight years in 22 countries. Now, some people might say, gosh, that's a lot of homes in a lot of places in a short amount of time. Other people might say, is it enough? And that's the, the camp that I live in because it's not enough. It's, it really is a tipping point because we think that we've got really the next decade at best to prove this tipping point so that the two following decades that this, this grouping of global competition will thrive on building regenerative neighborhoods and regenerative uh, urban environments and all these kinds of pieces that can be, again, for the benefit of, of how people live in, in communities. So that's our, our goal, uh, to set a moniker for, let's say, the new wealth, if you will. But um, there's a key to that, too, which is to get global scale. We start as the, the quote-unquote Tesla of eco-villages. But then our plan is to move quickly to um, as rapidly as we can to make it affordable and then design for extreme affordability, like I said before, for rural India, Africa and ASEAN for developing economies. And then at that point, um, if, if other developers wanted to take your template, your idea, you, some of the warnings you had around cost reduction and making this more mass produced, you're, are you going to help them with that? Yeah, I mean, our 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 goal is to eventually have a platform where we can joint venture with other real estate developers and constructors. We can we can have this this Regen Villages uh, motherboard, if you will, underneath those neighborhoods. Uh, support the other uh, university research and other kinds of startups um, that that need to be. Uh, let's say, productized and brought into the world. So there's no shortage of incredible opportunity for us to, to make this happen. There's another pivotal piece, and that pivotal piece is that there are giant sovereign wealth funds that are moving right now from uh, fossil fuels into what? They don't know what to invest in. Um, they want to do real estate, but they don't want to do traditional commercial office buildings anymore. They want something with impact, environmental impact. They want something that answers the sustainable development goals from the UN. I think there's 17 of them. And they want also to have, in certain parts of the world, a knowledge transfer. Um, and Regen Villages is that business plan. It's perfect. So our goal is to essentially marry ourselves to, uh, to these sovereign wealth at surplus funds that I think it's an excess of three and a half trillion US dollars and 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 take some few billion of that uh, to to develop these neighborhoods around the world, uh, take some several hundred million of that annually to to put into university research uh, at Stanford and, and other places around the world that um, desperately need to expose express and realize these planet-saving, human-necessary uh, kinds of, of technologies. So uh, Regen Villages is a, 
is a lever for these kinds of things to happen. And and that's how we get to scale. If you're someone who lives in your home, you're planning on staying there, or you know, you, you may not be able to buy into a region village soon. Do you think much about how the normal home can evolve over time? I mean, if you look at the the smart home or home automation world, there's basically two major channels, right? There's the the high end uh, where uh, an integrator comes in, you know, it may be part of the home construction process, builds in maybe some wiring, uh, maybe there's like a, a high end control control system, or if you're just like someone with like a small budget, you may just say, hey, I want to start and go to Best Buy and buy a smart light bulb. There's the DIY route. Do you think about analogies to that? Or are you just kind of thinking about like the bigger picture? Um, I just, I want to create a template for the future home. Or do you think about like how the DIY person can move that direction? I love the DIY person. I love the maker movement. I think it's incredible. Uh, we would love to see in the future uh, and we're working with people right now on our team who have a background actually in retrofits, in in taking um, even like Dutch block houses from the 60s and 1960s and turning that into energy positive homes with a uh, kind of a scheme that allows uh, kind of a part sort of almost region village skin to be put over that block house. Um, and by blockhouse, I mean it's kind of like a neighborhood sort of uh, townhouse kind of complex. Um, super interested in that, of course. The the thing that I am primarily focused on for Regen Villages to start with, at least in the next five to eight years, are the near suburban and 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 then eventually peri-urban neighborhoods that can. Um, get to the farmland that these other developers want to pave over and get there first. And, and I feel that with, with broadband internet, with electric vehicles, with drones, with high-speed transit like Hyperloop One and other kinds of things, that the need to live inside of these, I'll say, brittle megacities will become less and less. And that people can see a better life, a healthier life, a happier life, living in a place where they don't need to commute anymore. They could actually work from home or from a flexi office in a neighborhood like Regen Villages. There's another important piece, which is an Oxford study that came out a month ago, which is, I think, follows on another Cambridge study before that, which was or is that by uh, 20 years from now, almost 47% of all employment won't exist anymore. And this is due specifically to robots and AI and and autonomous vehicles and things like that. So what do we do with half of a population that no longer has quote unquote work, employment? Um, and we have to start thinking differently and and start to shift the model a bit from let's say work to to self-worth and time banks and people being involved in their communities and um and how that can be a new a new economic models can be can be born from that so um it's the only way forward i think to to avoid this sort of crushing pain point around the world it sounds like there's a great great decentralization that you're talking about where people you know over the past 100 years they've moved to these cities they also now commute into these cities to work. 
you've seen the same thing with food production, right? It's when it's gone from like this decentralized, localized production towards centralized production in factories because of the technology that we have today uh, and the systems we have today. We can now take all this and move it back out uh, into these different suburbs, back into uh, in a distribute into a distributed world. It sounds like. Yeah, I I I I think you know more and more what you're seeing you know uh, again with the brilliance of Elon Musk. You just look at this this one brilliant entrepreneur who has has a complete method to his madness on you know on um, these wonderful electric vehicles that have completely redefined the electric vehicle marketplace. Um, the solar city investment, which now has this incredible uh, connection to these new complete roof systems, which are generating power, whole roofs that, that can be replaced and retrofitted or built into new homes that are, that are the whole roof itself is, is, is generating power. And then the, the power wall itself that's storing that power. Um, so just in that one cycle, in that one circle, you have a solution for a house that you're living that's generating its power, storing that power, and a vehicle that's tapping that power. And um, that's really exciting. And that does all of a sudden decentralize some things that have been before pretty centralized, that you needed to get your power from a grid, you needed to go to fill up at a gas station, um, you, know, you needed to, to rely on that grid to, to deliver that power consistently all the time. Um, and, and, and we like to just say, gee, you know, we, we take that to the next level with, with complete neighborhoods that also understand a microgrid from the concept of food and water and waste in addition to the energy pieces. You are a, an ex-video game entrepreneur. This seems a long way from video games. Um, talk a little bit about how you got into doing this, trying to save the world a little bit, um, to create the future home vill- and village from a guy who in the early 90s was making video games. Well, is it really that different? I mean, if you think about it, I, I'm actually probably... It's creating making- worlds, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like to say I, I used to design worlds that made sense. And and most of the, the let's say, the, the game involvement that I had uh, worked on uh, was in design, level design, database, point systems, game mechanics, and things like this. Um, but I had always had interest in in games around um, karma and around you know, eco points. You know, trying to to to, to free, uh, let's say, uh, lab animals. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Trying to you know to 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 save dolphins. You know, different kinds of, of game mechanics, but also. Um, that uh, it, it frees one up to imagine anything, that anything is possible. That's what's incredible about technology and about, about gaming and game platforms. So that was a logical part of my, of my childhood growing up, um, shifting from pinball to, to video games, which, which uh, was an easy shift for me. And then designing games and then, starting my own companies and running them successfully. Uh, and then at the dot-com crash of 2000, I, you know, I had a love for film and TV, but I also had a love for food. And that's when I started to film these case studies of organic farms and then connected that with these great chefs. And I started to tell these stories of, of family farming connected to these, let's say, one to three Michelin star chefs. 
And we ended up with having a really popular national public television cooking series, which was on the air for something like 12 years. And, um, and the, at the name of that, if you want to watch it, we, yeah, it was originally called organic living. And then we changed the name to hippie gourmet. So the hippie gourmet <laughs> show, um, reached about 35 million homes a week. Um, very organic grassroots start, uh, on public access television, but then we moved to PBS in 2004. Um, and then we had a best selling, uh, companion cookbook on Hachette, um, which, which came out in 2007. So, um, it's this logical entrepreneurial step from, from technology gaming to, to getting my hands dirty in, in organic farms around the world, telling those great stories, then going into the kitchen and, and obviously washing my hands, but then helping to cook the food and, and film the food and, and tell these stories. And then how impactful the, the, this knowledge has been in my life of seeing where the strongest neighborhoods and communities are, are grown and envisioned from. Um, there's a wonderful study called Blue Zones where for 14 years, I think now almost 15 years, they track where people are living past 110 years old around the world. And there's these communities in the mountains of Sardinia, in Greece, in Japan, Okinawa, um, where what's going on? So basically they have, uh, they're growing their own food by their doorstep. They have agency. They're connected to their, to their food, to their seasonality, celebrating seasons. It's also, of course, the diet and, and how they live. It's also very low stress. Um, and, and most importantly, having a connection to people in community around you. And so when a baby's born in the neighborhood, they're not a pariah because they're a screaming baby. Um, and when people get older, they're not garbage. And that's the story arc of village life, uh, time immortal. And we need to get back to that. Because we live in a, a world right now where people are living in glass towers in the middle of big megacities, completely disassociated from all their natural resources, where things come from, where they go, um, and also um, where we push the, you know, the, the best parts of our culture, the best parts of our humanity off to the fringes, off to the sides. And that's, from my perspective, um, I think there's a hunger now. There's definitely a demand for, for what we're trying to do. Hey, well, James, thank you so much about talking about your vision, about talking about this idea of the Tesla for eco-villages. And uh, this has been a great conversation. I learned so much. Thanks, man. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. Well, I want to thank James Roick for joining me on the podcast today. I hope you learned as much as I did about this concept of regenerative homes, about smart neighborhoods. Uh, I thought this was a fascinating conversation. Once again, thanks everyone for listening. Do me a favor, check out The Spoon, go to thespoon.tech, subscribe to the newsletter. I'd appreciate it. All right, folks, we'll talk to you soon.